Good afternoon, everyone. And as Aaron said, my name is uh, Kevin Johnson, and I've been here in Chiang Mai with my wife and our seven kids for two years um, with Free the Oppressed Foundation and uh, as the staff chaplain for Calvary, or for um, <laughs> the Free Burma Rangers. And um, I'm honored to be able to have the opportunity to share with you. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to share God's word, and I pray that uh, through the word and by God's spirit um, that we would all be encouraged and edified this afternoon. But we are going to continue uh, with Pastor Aaron's chronological study through the Gospels. And so, but we're not going to be in one specific spot. Um, when Aaron kind of asked me to f- continue with his study, he gave me a passage from all four Gospels. So we're going to be thumbing back and forth through Scripture. Um, so it'll be a good opportunity for everyone to practice your sword drill. Um, and we're going to be a little bit in Matthew, Mark, John. Okay? But we're going to be looking at specifically the character of John the Baptist. We're going to look at and consider um, three M's. The man, who he is, the mission, why God sent him, and the message, what he came to proclaim. So uh, I'd like to begin in prayer. So if you could pray with me really quick. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And by your spirit, Lord, you would just lead us and guide us in truth. And Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart that's ready to be open and able to apply your word to our lives. Encourage us, please, we pray. Lord, equip us, please, we pray. And even uh, if necessary, we pray that you would rebuke or correct us. Lord, that we might be instructed in your righteousness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched um, the crowd-funded TV miniseries. Um, the, oh, man, I forgot the name of it. The Chosen, thank you. Uh, and Peter calls John the Baptist in The Chosen what? Do you guys know? Creepy John. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but hopefully we'll get a little bit different picture than... Uh, creepy guy in our minds uh, this afternoon, okay? Um, So the first part, John the Baptist, the man. Each section is kind of be broken into three different parts, so I hope I'm not too long, but we want to consider his dad, his dad. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 3. There in verse 1 and 2. We read, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, 
his brother Philip, tetrarch of Echeria, and the region, or excuse me, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Echeria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Here in these first couple of verses, um, Luke, uh, he sets the stage and he gives us a point in time when John comes on scene and then he sets us up for a little bit of a review. So the year is about AD 26 and Luke calls it the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. It's the same time that all these different people's lives overlap. Pilate is first governor. It's, it's the first year he is, has his governorship. Herod um, is a tetrarch in Galilee. And now a tetrarch is like um, a tr- three-person rulership or a rulership that's shared between three different people. So you've got Herod, you've got Philip, and then you've got Lysanias, and they all rule in three different areas. And then you've got these two guys, Annas and Caiaphas. And really the high priest is Caiaphas, but his father-in-law, Annas, is really the guy that is the power behind the scenes. So even though he doesn't specifically hold the Roman office or the office that's given to him by Rome, but he, he's really the guy calling the shots. And so Luke kind of lumps them up together as the high priest. And it's during this time that John begins his ministry. Luke introduces him, notice there in verse 2, as John the son of Zacharias. And that's interesting because Luke is the only gospel writer that records information for us about his father, Zacharias. And really he calls him the son of Zacharias, not John the Baptist um, in his gospel. I think for a reason. It's, It's to recall what he's already written about his father. And so we were already introduced to to his dad by Aaron a couple weeks ago, Zacharias. And remember, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. He was a guy who was, his lot was chosen, and he was able to serve in the temple during the reign of Herod, king of Judea. Now, that's Herod the Great, right? He's the one who died uh, shortly after the birth of Jesus. And Zacharias, he stood in the temple to minister before the Lord. And while he was there, he was visited by an angel of the Lord. And we're told by Luke that this guy, Zacharias, who was visited by the angel, he had a wife and her name was Elizabeth. And she was also of the daughters of Aaron. They were both very old and they were childless. And so when the angel appeared, he gave Zacharias, a a shocking message, right? He said, hey, you're going to have a son and you're going to call him John. And all this is found in Luke chapter one, verses one through 13. The angel, his name was Gabriel. And because of Zacharias's unbelief, he would say to Zacharias in Luke chapter one, verse 20, behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so John, I mean, Zacharias, he was kind of chastised by the angel and the angel shut him up, not able to speak. 
until after the baby was born. And Luke would record for us that on the eighth day after Zacharias's son was born, all these people, his neighbors, his friends, they would get together and they'd have this big celebration and they would want to name him after his father. But his mom, Elizabeth, protested. And so they gave a tablet, a writing tablet to Zacharias and he would write, reread, in Luke chapter 1, verse 62 through 64, he would write saying his name is John. Then all the people would wonder and marvel because as he wrote the name and said it, he was actually able to speak. And at that moment, John, his son, uh, became a source of joy and gladness, just as the angel Gabriel said he would be back in Luke chapter 1, verse 14. And many rejoiced at his birth. I want to read verse 15 and 16 from Luke chapter 1. This is the angel Gabriel speaking of John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That was the call that God had placed on John's life. And we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now, John, he has this amazing beginning and he has a godly heritage. He has a dad not without faults, but one who rejoiced in him and one whom we can probably be pretty confident that he instructed him to follow after God. So it caused me to wonder, well, what about our dads here? What about our backgrounds? You know, we might not have received such a beginning that John the Baptist had. Dad, we, you know, we might have a questionable father here on earth. But in Christ, we are part of God's family. And in Christ, we have a heavenly father who loves us. And he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Uh, my second part of John the Baptist, the man, is to consider his dress. So, his dress. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we read that he will also go before him in spirit, excuse me, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John, he gets to go out in the spirit and then the power of Elijah, right? And the hymn that John would precede is Jesus. John gets to go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Elijah, he was arguably one of the most well-known of the Old Testament prophets. And interestingly, he had a peculiar form of dress. 
And it's described in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. In 2 Kings, um, these servants come to the king and they want to tell, uh, tell him, describe to him who stopped them on the road. And they answer the king in verse 8, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And the king answered, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now, Aaron's Bible, uh, the NLT, the one that he normally reads from, it also describes Elijah as a hairy man wearing a leather belt. But if you read from an English Bible translation, the NIV or the ESV, it'll have a little bit different interpretation, okay? It will instead read, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. Now, it's just a little minor difference, right? A hairy man or a garment of hair. Um, But this subtle difference, it paints an entirely different picture in our minds of what this man would look like. And the translation of the Hebrew allows for both interpretations. Um, But it would seem from the description that we find of John the Baptist that the NIV or the ESV gives a little bit more accurate uh, translation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, we're also introduced to John. It says in verse 1, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3 says, For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So we see here a description that's very similar to the one of Elijah found in 2 Kings, chapter 1, verse 8, right? A man who is clothed in a hairy garment with a leather belt around his waist. So, and this description is not just found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, but it's also found in Mark chapter 1, verse 6. And it's, it's just a little tiny detail, but why does it matter? Why does the Bible include little details like this at all? Um, the Bible doesn't explicitly say for sure, but it becomes one way that John's persona and ministry in a sense, parallels that of Elijah. It kind of links the two people together in a different way, a little way. We read in Luke chapter 1 that John was to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. But he also looks like him too. It's just an interesting detail, right? These two guys, they dress alike. His peculiar look would stir then in the minds of those familiar onlookers this connection between him, the man that's in front of them, baptizing them, and the prophet of old. Just looking at John, people would see that he is different 
And just by looking at him, they would recognize whose prior ministry his current ministry was like. And I believe that these similarities impacted the effectiveness of the ministry that God had given Elijah to do. What about us? In our lives and in our ministry, who do we look like? When someone observes us, do, do we remind them of someone? Hopefully, we remind people of Jesus in our speech, in our actions. That's the goal. John the Baptist, uh, the third part of the man is his diet, his diet. I want to look this time from Mark's account in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, it reads very much like Matthew's account, but in verse 6, we see the description. John is clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and then we get this addition, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He ate locusts and wild honey. This same description, again, is given in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. And with all these things, we see that John, he has a unique dad, he has a peculiar, peculiar dress, and he has an unusual diet. He did not consume what the rest of the world usually consumes. Why? We don't really know for sure, right? Perhaps there's not much else to eat in the Judean desert, but this we do know for sure. His diet added to the intrigue of his character. These peculiarities, they're part, um, they were part of what drew the masses into the wilderness. People were leaving the cities and they were going to the desert to see what? This peculiar man. He dresses funny, he eats funny things, and, and he was baptizing people. Consider what Jesus said to the departing multitudes in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. We read, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I'm going to stop there. Jesus makes it clear that the people, they recognized there was more to this man than meets the eye. He was a man who was set apart by God. He was a man who was chosen even before he was born. He looked different than the rest of the world. He acted different than the rest of the world. And this strange, powerful spirit that he exhibited and this uniqueness was somehow very attractive 
to the masses. I'm going to read again from Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. The uniqueness that God gave to John ultimately played a part in aiding him to fulfill the mission that God had given him. And and the true can be the same of us. God equips us uniquely to fulfill the mission that he has given to us. Now, John the Baptist, the man, he reminds us of, in a sense, these three things. In Christ, you and I, we are part of God's family. In Christ, our lives are to remind others of Jesus, point people to him. And in Christ, we have been called to be different than the world. And God has uniquely given us uniqueness to serve his purposes. So, number two, John the Baptist, the mission, right? The mission. First, it was prophetic. Jesus had called John more than a prophet, right? Back in Matthew chapter 11. And in verse 10, he would say, this is he of whom it is written, right? It reminds us that John's life, it fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Scripture foretold John's coming. And all four Gospels share that Scripture, which John's ministry fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 3, three we read, For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And then he would go on and quote the prophet. In Mark chapter 1, verse 2, it says, as it is written in the prophets. And then Mark would quote Isaiah and Malachi. In Luke chapter 3, verse 4, it proclaims, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And then it would go on and quote Isaiah 52.10. In John chapter 6, we read that John is a man that was sent from God. And in, later in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, he's approached by these priests and Levites, who most of them are Pharisees, and they question, who are you? Are you the Christ? And he would say, no, I'm, I'm not the Christ. And then, well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, what do you say of yourself? We've got to give an account to someone those who sent us. And he would declare concerning himself, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John 1, verse 23. So John's a prophet, and his mission is prophetic. Both Isaiah again and Malachi prophesied concerning him. Isaiah chapter 52, 10, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. What about us? What's the connection? We can take comfort. Even though our lives might not be prophesied in a sense of old, 
we have been called by God before we were even born, just like John. I want to read to you from Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written, they all were written, excuse me, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Our, our whole life has been written in a book, yet before our, we were even physically fashioned, God knew it all. And, and he has called uniquely each one of us, and he's given each one of us a purpose and a design to fulfill his will. And so you too have been called by God even before you were born. John had a mission. It was prophetic, and it's also one of preparation. So John the Baptist, his mission was preparation. There had been no prophet um, until John the Baptist came on scene. For some 400 years, the last prophet was Malachi. But the Messiah was coming, and the people needed to get ready. And getting them ready was part of John's mission. Again, as he said concerning himself in John chapter 1, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. This same declaration is repeated in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, in Mark chapter 1, verse 3, in Luke chapter 3, verse 4. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In Luke chapter 3, there would be an addition to that um, in verse 5 and 6. He would add, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I try to think, man, what a, what a, what a call, what a mission, right? To make mountains flat and valleys full, to make something that looked like this smooth, right? That would take a lot of work if we, if we think of it in practical terms. To make crooked ways, right? Ways that are windy and curvy and bumpy. To smooth all that out and make it a straight path, that would be hard to do. John was called to a very difficult task, an impossible task. But that's why he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth, right? He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And what's crazy is You and I are no different. We're the same. We have been given the Spirit of God from our new birth, right? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're born again, and we have the same Spirit that John was given. And so whenever we think, man, Lord, you've given me an impossible task, we can take comfort knowing He has given us all we need to be successful, and that is His Spirit. Where God guides, God provides, and He empowers us to be able to do all that He has called us to do. John, he had been, God, excuse me, God had called John to do a very difficult um, task. And part of that task was 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That's what Luke chapter 3, 3 tells us. And that remission of sins, it just means for the forgiveness of sins. So he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And these multitudes of people, they came out to be baptized by John. And as they were baptized, they confessed their sins. Matthew chapter 3 verse 6 tells us. So his baptism, it dunking them in water did not save the people. It wasn't anything magical. He just simply submerged people in the Jordan River and then let them come out of the water again, right? But his ministry, what it did is it tuned the people, their minds into spiritual things. It it convicted them of their sins and it caused them to wonder. We read that it created in them this real sense of expectation. Luke chapter 3 verse 15, it says, Now the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And John answered saying, indeed, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, his ministry pointed people to Jesus. It convicted them of their sins, but it pointed others to to Jesus, to the one who would come to save, right? And us, for us, we have, in a sense, the same commission. We've been commissioned to help prepare others to meet Jesus, to wake people up, to show them the time, right? To make them aware of Jesus's return, because just as Jesus was on the doorsteps, right, when John was on scene. His his revealing was imminent. I believe that his second coming is just as imminent. He's, He's coming back quickly. And we've been given that same power and that same spirit as John, and we've given the same commission. Prepare the people. Jesus is coming. He's coming back soon, and the people need to be ready. John the Baptist, the mission was proclamation. John chapter 1 verse 7. John chapter 1 verse 7 says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, that all through him might believe. If you read all of John chapter 1, it's clear that the light that John the Apostle is speaking about, that John the Baptist bore witness to, is Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. Over and over, we read that John came he, pre- he was preaching, and it was pointing people to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 4, and 7, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, and 18. He's preaching, and he's pointing people to Jesus. And John's proclamation was through preaching a message of repentance that pointed people to Christ. And again, we too, we've been given this message to share, the gospel of Jesus, And Paul would call that gospel the power of God into salvation for all who believes, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. A powerful, life-changing message. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Do I proclaim that message? Will I proclaim that message? Looking at John the Baptist, what is our mission? 
What is it that we have been called to do? I would suggest that in some way, all of us have been called to the same mission as John. In Christ, we've been called by God before we were even born. In Christ, we've been commissioned to help prepare others to meet Jesus. And in Christ, we have been given a message to share, which is the gospel of Jesus. So we want to proclaim him and we want to point others to him. How is this done? This brings us to number three, John the Baptist, the message, right? And first, the message is to the people. Luke chapter three, verse seven through 10, it says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And then he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. And the tax collectors came and to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were all in expectation, they reasoned in their hearts about John. I'm going to pause there. We read in verse 7 and in verse 10, you know, that the multitudes came out to be baptized by him and that all these people asked him these things, right? The truth that he spoke to them was, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And I think, man, that's, that's harsh. <laughs> and normally I consider that message to the religious elite, but it's not, which is pretty interesting. You know, John, he showed no favoritism. He candy-coated nothing. And he, he, we realize he didn't have time. He didn't have time to play games, right? He, he didn't have time. It was short. The Messiah's time was eminent. And so he called the people out. All of you guys are sinners. You're like vipers, right? And if we're honest with our sins, we can agree. We're no different, but by God's grace. Without Christ, we're selfish snakes, biting and devouring each other with our words and in our, in our actions, Verse 8, he called the people to bear fruits worthy of repentance, right? He called the people to repentance. That means he called them to change their minds, a change of mind that would lead to a completely different set of actions. It's like a U-turn, right? We're going in one direction with our lives, and then we do a 180-degree turn, and we go the opposite direction, and we start heading the other way, right? A true mind change, a true change of heart will display itself in action. And that's why John says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. But salvation doesn't come through a family line. It doesn't, it, they weren't saved because they were Israelites. And the same is true for us. Just because you're here in church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you were born into a Christian home doesn't make, make you a Christian. 
There's only one thing that brings salvation, and that is putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing else and no one else saves. And in a sense, that's what John told them. Hey, don't make excuses. Your pedigree doesn't save you. And he would call them to the one that does. And then John would give them a warning in verse 9. He would say, in a sense, judgment is coming. You know, Jesus came for the first time in John's day. But we can be sure that he's coming back again. He's coming back first for his bride, the church. And second, he's coming back for judgment. And, And... As we look at the text, John's message, it elicited a response. And the people, they responded, right? Verses 10 through 14, we read it. There were three groups uniquely kind of pointed out in that group, um, uh, that multitude. One, just the people in general. Two, the tax collectors. Three, the, the soldiers, right? And all of those people said, what should we do? That was the response. Ha, how can we be saved? What should we do? And John, he would show them some practical ways that their lives can change. Verses 10 and 11, he would say, out of your abundance, give to others in need. In verses 12 and 13, he would say, don't overcharge or steal from your neighbor. In verse 14, he would say, hey, don't bully others or make false accusations for personal gain. All of these sins were being committed by the people, that multitude. Greed, theft, lies. And John called them out for their sin. He called them to repentance. Change their mind. Change their heart. Change their actions towards each other and towards God. Verses 16 and 17, John's message to the people, again, was one pointing them to Christ, the one who comes after him, whose sandal strap he's not worthy to loose, right? And if they don't, judgment would come. Our message needs to be the same. In Christ, we're to speak the truth, we're to preach repentance, and we're to warn of judgment. But this message was not just for the masses. It was also for the religious elite. John the Baptist, the message, right? To the priests. To the priests. Um, The priests and the Levites, they're part of that crowd, John chapter 1 specifically points them out. They would question John the Baptist, who are you? And then he would tell them exactly the same message that we read in Luke. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 12, where we also read that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come to his baptism and he would treat them the same. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? His message to them was exactly the same as Luke records it to the people. And Mark He just gives the message. He doesn't make any distinction between who received that message. But why does this matter? It matters. This is why it matters. Our message to the world about Christ needs to be consistent. Our message to the world about Christ needs to show no favoritism. We can't sugarcoat it for some, you know, those we like, and then really, really hit those that we don't. No, the message of the gospel is the same for all. All of us. Every one of us is a sinner in need of salvation. 
We all must acknowledge and confess our sins to God, and we all must repent and turn to Christ. And we all must receive His free gift of salvation by grace through faith. If we don't, if we reject Christ, then we can expect judgment in the end. That was John's message. That's our message. And thirdly, lastly, John the Baptist, the message to the present, right, to each one of us. At the beginning of our time together this afternoon, I, I said our goal should be to answer the question, how should this man, his mission and his message affect me? And we saw as we examined the scriptures today that many of the people responded with repentance and with expectation. It affected them. And I think that's how we should respond. We should take the opportunity to consider where are we at? Where are our lives today? Who do I reflect? What does my life look like? Does it look like the world? Or is there something different? And is that difference so radical that it's oddly attractive to others? What is our mission? Do we live for God in obedience to His will? In what we do and what we say? And we do, do we do so understanding that we've been chosen by God from the very beginning? Or do we live for ourselves? And what do we proclaim? What is our message? Is it one of truth and repentance? Is it consistent without favoritism? Is it one that points others to Jesus and reminds others that he's coming back again? One of grace and truth coupled with warning and judgment? It should be these things. And so as we get ready to go this afternoon, I would just ask that you would consider with me today your life, your mission, and your message. And together, let us wait and wonder in expectation for God to do great things as we submit our lives to Him. Especially knowing that we're to speak truth, we're to preach repentance, we're to warn of judgment. Our message to the world, again, needs to be consistent. And that God has given us an effective message worth sharing with the lost. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the man, the mission and the message, John the Baptist. We thank you that, man, his life was radical and his message is radical and we want to be radical for you just like him. And Lord, we thank you that you gave him a powerful spirit and that you have given us that same spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to go out and to proclaim your name amongst those around us that are hurting and lost and dying. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.